The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Father, and to the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle them the fire of thy love. Set forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost. Grant us by that same spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. May the divine assistance remain always with us. And may the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. O Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. us. Then of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you tonight? Wonderful. Thank you, Tom. How are you doing? Great, Father. Thanks for being here. Appreciate your time. Well, I thank, thank you. I thank God that I'm here, too. Yeah. Father, we, we've uh, we've got a lot on the agenda for tonight, so let's jump right in. I wanted to get your take on this article that was published in LifeSite News just a few days ago, and the, the title of it is Pope Francis Calls for New Supernational Authorities to Enforce UN Goals. They have a, a quote from Francis here in the beginning, and he said, When a supranational common good is clearly identified, there is need for a special legally constituted authority capable of facilitating its implementation. Think of the great contemporary challenges of climate change, new slavery, and peace. So, Father, what is your take on this? Francis calling for a supranational authority to enforce UN goals. Well, my take is that he is simply continuing exactly the stated policies of John the Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, John Paul the Second, Benedict the Sixteenth before him. All of these uh, Novus Ordo, the popes of the Novus Ordo, following Vatican II, have called for exactly the same thing in practically exactly the same words. Every one of them has called for a, a supra or a supranational police force. Uh, it would be the um, enforcement agency of a, uh, a world government. And their purpose was to actually enforce uh, economic control over all the nations of the world. Um, so this is uh, one world government they're calling for, but they're calling not only for uh, one world government in terms of, uh, shall we say, legislative powers, making laws, uh, not only judicial powers for judging compliance with the laws, they're calling for executive power to enforce, to force nations to comply with the laws of the one world government. Every single one of them had made this call. And I, I think Francis now has uh, has brought this, put this on the table now, uh, in preparation for his uh, Amazon conference coming up, which is supposed to be dedicated to uh, 
Well, according to those he's appointing here, right, to be leadership there at that conference, uh, really pursue his agenda of global warming and uh, everything he stated in Laudato Si. Um, in other words, he's he's pushing toward the one world government, um, and uh, which will eventually uh, see the rise of the Antichrist. <clears throat> So uh, this doesn't surprise me. It, I'm, I'm surprised it took Francis this long to get around to it. It didn't take Benedict this long to get around to it. In fact, Benedict, uh, in the brief term of his tenure, uh, said that this this uh, this agency, whatever, had to have real real enforcement powers, real teeth, as it were, to uh, to force governments to comply with the one world government agenda. And uh, what is this but world socialism? What is that uh, but tyranny, right? Mm -hmm. Absolute godless tyranny that they're all calling for. And now Francis is the latest. And he's actually going to be uh, moving forward to uh, try to put this into effect. And Father, j just real quickly, just to leave aside the, this idea of a, of a United Nations police force, what about this this idea of their agenda first, that this police force would be enforcing? He, he says here, would you agree with this, Father, as Francis says, the great contemporary challenges are climate change, mm -hmm. new slavery, and peace. Mm -hmm. And you know, you mentioned the Amazon conference. There, there are topics that they are going to discuss at this, at this, uh, mm -hmm. this synod is, uh, let's see, I've got a list of them here, the preservation of the natural environment, deforestation, mm -hmm. poverty, and formation of clergy. So it's just, I mean, this this Francis's synod here perfectly coincides with with the goals of the United Nations. And why is there this obsession with the natural environment, deforestation, climate change? These are really the the main issues of the day. These are are, are our but, biggest. But enemies. Tom, this is exactly what was called for again, in different language, different words were used, but all the way back at uh, John the Twenty Third's Populorum Progressio. The whole program is, is about this world. Remember now, we're dealing with naturalism here. We're dealing with the Freemasonic agenda here. We're dealing with the pontiffs of the Novus Ordo. These are the new order. This is the Novus Ordo, the new order of the ages, the Novus Ordo Seclorum. That's what these men believe. That's what they represent, right? And that is what they're trying to bring into, <clears throat> into, into fruition finally now, right? The Masonic agenda of a, a world uh, that sees mankind as God and its uh, world government as being the supreme, like the incarnation, the incarnation of God. And uh, it's not just big brother, it's, it's more than that, right? Yeah. Um, with absolute surveillance powers and absolute enforcement powers. That's what these men really represent. This is what the Novus Ordo is all about. So uh, there's nothing supernatural about this. I mean, there's no question of saving souls. There's no question of justifying souls from sins against God. There's no question of sanctifying souls by grace for heaven. There's no question of that. There's nothing to do with this new religion. It just astounds me that that there are people who want to be, consider themselves Catholics, who, who, who just don't see uh, that this is 
pure worldliness, and this is the religion of the Antichrist that they are building up before our eyes now. Um, it seems like they're so myopic. You know, some of the modern scholars and theologians in the in the Novus Ordo Church um, have accused Francis of delictive heresy. And in an open letter to the bishops, they're appealing to the bishops to do something about this. Well, the bishops, of course, are the ones hand-chosen by these very same Novus Ordo pontiffs over the years. And, uh, you know, you don't expect these Novus Ordo New Order bishops to do anything about this. It's, it's absurd and almost a bit of, a bit of uh, uh, kind of comic. It's ludicrous. It is ludicrous. But, but in any case, um, but even the conservative Novus Ordo's are, are torn now with whether they should accuse Francis of heresy. Meanwhile... I mean, you know what this is, this reminds me, I mean, I'm sorry, but Nero set the fire to, to burn out a, the central part of the old city of Rome so he could build his golden palace, his golden house for himself. And while the fire was blazing, he's playing the fiddle, right? And it's almost as though the argument now is whether or not he plays well. Uh, you know, does he play off key? That's what it's really all about. Meanwhile, the city is ablaze, right? People are fleeing for their lives. And uh, and they're concerned about whether he's really playing the fiddle quite right. Or playing the right tune or whatever. I mean, it's, it is insane. Talk about a diabolical disorientation. He's reorganizing the government of the Novus Ordo Church. You know that. He wants to build up the synodal church. If you read the document by which he uh, kind of de decreed this idea, uh, following through on something Paul VI did with these synods, but Francis wants to make that the essential constitution of the government of the church now, governed by synods. And you read what he says in the document there. He, he declares his place in this as the pontiff. And it is, it is pure modernism. It is not the Catholic papacy at all. Uh, and according to his synodal model of the church, uh, the bishops are going to learn from these, uh, these gatherings of the people who are going to testify their experience of living the Christian life in the world today. The bishops are then going to listen. That's big with him. They listen. They hear what they say. They distill this down. They send their findings to Francis. And then Francis's role as the pontiff is to put this into formulas that everybody accepts. That's the new dogma. And this will develop as synods meet, synods come and go, you know. And uh, this is not the papacy. This is not the episcopacy. This is not the church. It's not the Catholic church. Man. And uh, Gerhard Müller now says that this is theologically incorrect and this is, uh, you know, creating a problem, you know, with the document. He doesn't even scratch the surface of how, how this is not Catholic. It is not the way Christ constituted the church. Um, so Francis is actually substituting his own modernist church, modernist religion for the, the true Catholic church. 
and again, they're they're arguing about the you know what color what color he's painting the walls, rather than the fact that this the structure itself is is you know mm-hmm. is evil. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's just uh, really uh, it's really pathetic what what is happening. It's so sad to see. Uh, they're going. They're letting him do this while they're bickering about these little things that are uh, little points of order, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're bickering about whether Stalin is following Robert's rules of order, <laughs> you know, uh, whether Mao is following the proper procedures, right. you know. So um, it's not not a good thing, but. Francis, no, they, they banked everything on Francis, which is why when Vigano spoke up against him, they had to suppress Vigano. They had to silence him because Francis is their point man. He's the man they're counting on to see Vatican II through to its murderous end, to put uh, the true church in the tomb. As the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes conspired to put Christ in the tomb. Now Francis and his and his buddies are all conspiring to actually put the Catholic Church, the true, the, the historical Catholic Church, in the tomb, and roll the door to the tomb, seal it, and guard it, and make sure there's no resurrection. He's uh, he's making strides in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, this is what Our Lady, Our Lady, called the Phantom of the Diabolical Disorientation. And Father, I think just a perspective to to perhaps tie all of these current events together. You know, you mentioned the diabolical disorientation. If I could take a stab at at the definition of that, it seems to me that what's happening in the world today is a a total, like you said, worldliness, where there is this total forgetfulness, even negligence of anything supernatural. The focus is is simply entirely on this life, this world. And I think, like you mentioned in, in your sermon on Sunday, the, the quote of, of St. Augustine, where he said, our hearts were made for thee, O Lord, and they are restless until they rest in thee. I think that perfectly describes what is happening in the world today, where we have forgotten that our hearts were made for God. We have we have simply made this world an ends in and, in and unto itself, rather than an ends to a means of, of obtaining heaven and supernatural life. And so we simply have this focus, this obsession even, with just this world. And I think that perspective right there uh, helps clarify a lot of things. You know, you, you read about his his Amazon Senate and, and their, their their topics are natural environment, deforestation, mm-hmm. poverty. They're all this worldly things. Exactly. You, read, you read the UN things, it's, it's all about climate change and, not, and all of that. And, and even so many of the other issues today, you know, you have political correctness. And I think what what is that but an obsession with, with man? It's essentially the the deification of man, where we are so scared to offend man, we're so scared to to say something that that might offend a man or insult him or hurt him or offend him, because man is essentially God. We've done away with him, done away with God. It's just this world. It's man, and I think that it helps explain so many things. Racism is another one. There's just simply this obsession with this world, the the natural body, and I think that. Racism stems from that, just this, this mm. obsession, and I think this theme just just comes. And the whole idea of victimhood, everyone has to identify with a class of victims. You mm-hmm. know? And Francis, because of my color, I'm automatically a victim. Right. Because it, of my shape, I'm automatically a victim. And, I'm a victim because of my heritage. I'm a victim mm-hmm. because of this. I'm a victim mm-hmm. of that. And everybody has to associate that. And, and in other words, you have to. And and the more di- different victim groups you can identify with, the higher your status. <laughs> 
right? The more they elevate you as this, uh, you know, like the supreme victim. Yeah. But Tom, it is true. That the, the supreme law of the of the Catholic Church is the salvation of souls, right? Salus animarum suprema lex. The Code of Canon Law states very clearly. That has nothing to do with anything Francis says no. or does. Nothing no. whatsoever. No. Everything is an obsession with this world. Yes. With Francis. And, um, you know, they're arguing whether or not he should be accused of heresy when he actually is an apostate. Is an apostate. Sorry. And, uh, you know, maybe his apostasy is so flagrant and so blatant that it's blindingly so that people can't see uh, that this goes beyond heresy. And the man is doing everything he can to, to obliterate the traditional uh, Catholic Church as an institution and replace it with something of his own design, devising. Okay. It's not really his devising. It's the devising of the Antichrist, really. It's repairing it for, for the Antichrist. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Right. And I think, you know, mentioning the Antichrist, Father, I think anyone who wishes to see can understand the simple point. We just think about that. The Antichrist, well, we have Christ here. What, what was his, his, uh, his supreme mission? His, his main focus was the salvation of souls, supernatural life you know in one of your your sermons on on easter sunday several years back you you mentioned if one was was looking for the church of christ the first thing that he would look for would be a church that was primarily concerned with a salvation of soul that would be their primary concern above everything else and you look at francis's church which uh you know is along the same lines of what we call the church of the antichrist it has literally the exact opposite Focus, the exact opposite goal. Well, the, the salvation of souls involves, first of all, justification from sin, which, of course, involves the sacrifice of our Lord on the, on the cross for us, right? The sacrificial death for us. And the sanctification of souls by sanctifying grace, okay? But Francis's thrust is exactly the opposite. It is to justify sin. Not just the sinner, but he wants to justify sin itself. And he's not out to sanctify the soul. To, uh, you know, our Lord said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Francis says that that perfection, like, for example, I don't mean to say like, uh, <laughs> you know, some, a certain AOC person. You know. uh, what I mean is... Uh, like the question of marriage, okay? The question of marriage, where you have uh, a single man, a single woman marrying, and they're faithful to each other. Francis says that is the ideal, but it doesn't apply, really. That people uh, are not expected to live up to the ideal. So uh, when they fall short, it's no real shame to them. So rather than call people to live a chaste life in chaste wedlock, or if they're not married, to live chastely in a single life, right? Francis justifies the sin. In a sense, he even glorifies it, saying that that is as the, that's the best they can do under the circumstances, 
And it would be sinful then for them not to do that, not to live in open adultery and not to engage in, in, uh, in adulterous acts together. It would be sinful them for them not to do that. So, um, you know, Francis is doing what the Antichrist, he's setting the stage for the Antichrist. You see, see, a sinful mankind wants a savior who will come along and tell them that they can have their sin and salvation too. That they can even sanctify themselves by sin. I mean, the sect to which Rasputin belonged, believe that. You can sanctify yourself through sin, right? Luther, believe it or not, I mean, well, you know this. Luther taught that we cannot withstand the temptation to sin because our nature is too corrupt. And we are not saved by not sinning. We are saved by faith in Christ who has paid the price of our sins already. And so his saying was, sin mightily, but believe more mightily. That was his formula for salvation. People like that. They don't have to give up their sins. Their sins actually become the means of salvation or an instrument of salvation. And this is exactly what the Antichrist will tell them. Francis is already is already setting the stage, setting in the minds of people to believe that, that message. So that um, that's why the Antichrist is called the Antichrist. Right? Okay. He will come not to justify from sin. He will come to justify sin. He will not come to sanctify. But he will say that perversion actually is holiness in the eyes of the Antichrist, meaning in the eyes of Satan. And um, so uh, this is this is what is in the works right now. And it just amazes that people are, uh, are arguing whether Nero's fiddle is in tune or not while Rome is burning. <clears throat> right. Well, Father, to get back to this idea of the supernational authority that Francis has called for, I wanted to... Um, to get to this quote, because he, he invokes the principle of subsidiarity to justify oh. this, believe it or not. And uh, he says that the principle of subsidiarity requires that individual nations must be given the power to operate as far as they can reach. Nonetheless, groups of neighboring nations, as is already the case, can strengthen their cooperation by attributing the exercise of certain functions and services to intergovernmental institutions that manage their common interests. Father, how deceitful is this to you attempt to use the principle of subsidiarity to justify this, which is seems to be literally the exact opposite it, of the principle of subsidiarity. It's the same thing. Go back, read the documents of Vatican II. It says, this is the case, but, and then it goes on and just completely eviscerates everything it said. Okay. And uh, this is what he's doing here. I mean, this, this is the typical modernist modus operandi here. Uh, state something... That sounds good, okay, and, uh, and but then go on to just completely deny it and uh, contradict it and wind up with the exact opposite result, okay? So the principle of subsidiarity that that the the lower echelon of, of government and society should be allowed to direct itself, okay, free from interference from, let's say, you know, the, the, the levels of government and society above it, okay? The family, for example, according to the principle of subsidiarity, which is a Catholic principle, 
should be allowed maximum liberty to take care of itself. And it, where it, it, it cannot do so, it needs assistance, but not interference from government. Okay, it will need assistance uh, unless there's an absolute failure to, to care for the children and the spouse and son. Okay, so the, the principle, uh, you know, uh, it really is a principle uh, safeguarding liberty. <coughs> this is exactly what Fran the opposite of what Francis is saying here. He says that, uh, you know, the individual nation should be free to govern themselves. However, right, it's in their best interest, in a sense, not to, because they should get together with other nations and find some kind of, uh, you know, regional arrangement where things are going to work out better for them, right? And, uh, you know, you look at uh, collegiality in the Nova Sorda Church, right? The collegiality was introduced as, again, the idea of the individual bishop, yes, that's fine, but let's get these bishop conferences now. So we lock these bishops into these bishops conferences. So the individual bishops doesn't doesn't have that right of an independent conscience to stand up for what he knows is the right thing to do, right? As a successor of the apostles, now he's he's a member of this group and he's going to have the group think. He doesn't dare step out of line. And the whole idea was to impose a regimented. Uh, a, a regimented control that was the exact opposite of the principle of subsidiarity, exact opposite of the principle of liberty, to act according to one's own conscience. And he wants to get this, the all of mankind, all of mankind in lockstep through all the levels of society within a nation and then all the nations in lockstep now to this, this um, global governing authority which has power to actually... Uh, punish them. Okay, how would you do that? Hunger games? I mean, what's the message here? That they will not have the food? I mean, we already saw that with the kulaks in the Ukraine, right? We saw how Stalin took care of that problem. He, he, he starved them, perhaps 11 million of them. And uh, with the collusion of the, the New York Times writer, right? Uh, who won the Nobel Prize? What was Pulitzer? Did that? And uh, for for masking that. Right. And uh, I mean, well, this was just the beginning. I mean, we you know look at that Hoda Lamour, the, the the evil of the Hoda Lamour of the starvation of the kulaks in Ukraine, and you can see what a global governing authority, the Stalinist concept of a messianic imposition of absolute control over every man, woman, and child. Can do, and it's uh, it should be frightening for anyone with an ounce of sense, and to anyone with an ounce of faith, it should be absolutely unacceptable. And Father, this just seems so uh, diabolically deceitful the way that he goes about this, though, because rather than, than come out and just clearly state what his what his goal is, he'll, he'll kind of throw in these um, these traditional mm. buzzwords to kind of draw in would be or you know unsuspecting modernism time. That's right. modernism. But, you know, he'll, he'll use, it's he'll the use, deceit of the modernists. He'll use things like this. So the principle of, of subsidiarity and unsuspecting, no sort of Catholic might read that and say, oh, that's great. He's talking about something traditional. That's, right. a, that's certainly a traditional thing, that the principle of, of subsidiarity. And yet he, he does the exact opposite of that. And it just seems mm -hmm. that um, that is just, that is just this, diabolical. Exactly. This is what they did at Vatican II. That's, that's, what, that's what the With serpent the did of in the Garden And that's what they're doing ever since. So. It, it's, uh, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's just 
the modus operandi of the modernist, and Pope Pius X spelled it all out in Pashendi. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear, and eyes to see, let them see <laughs> what, uh, you know, what the modernist is. And, and Francis is, uh, I mean, this is his DNA, you know, modernism. Well, Father, I think just uh, just one more quote from this, if you can stomach it here. Uh, Francis says, The Church observes with concern the reemergence almost everywhere in the world of aggressive currents towards foreigners, especially immigrants, as well as that growing nationalism which neglects the common good. So again, this is the exact opposite of the principle of subsidiarity, where he's he's trying to to to, to undermine that. He's trying to have this common good, supposedly this common brotherhood of well, nations, these united nations. That that's what he the wants. bonum commune. Again, it's a very Catholic concept. He's trying to throw these things in there and and use them as tools <clears throat> to disguise what he's really doing. And unfortunately, there are so many people who think so superficially. They hear those words and they're very reassured. You know, it's sort of like in a new mass, if you can throw in a dominus of biscuit once in a while, oh, how traditional can you get? All is well. All is well. Did you hear? He just said, oh, Ramos. We heard a Kyrie lay, so everything is He's fine. He's a castle. That's right. <laughs> he spoke in Latin. Yeah. So the, the night watchman, the uh, town driver goes through saying, you know, 11 o'clock and all is well. Well, okay, so he said it in Russian. Or he said it in Arabic, you know, but that's okay still. It means the same thing, right? Um, you say it in Latin, it's fine. Yeah, that means everything is just peachy. It's not, not at all. It's a device of the enemy to disarm uh, rather gullible people. But the, um, the, uh, the common good here is a, is a real Catholic concept when it comes to morality. You know, and how we live our lives and the moral principles we follow. It can also be abused by communists, socialists, and so on, who tell you that the common good requires you to give up everything you own to the government and let the government control it, meaning people like Nancy Pelosi. It's simple. It comes down to these, these government political hacks and their bureaucrats. <laughs> And, uh, but this is what the common good demands of you. This is what socialists would say. But you know, the, uh, when, when Francis condemns nationalism, okay, people need to understand that he, he's not in favor of really migrants or anything else. He, what he's saying is nationalism has risen up to oppose globalism. Right. That's what he really means. Nationalism now has risen up to oppose globalism. And everything for him is about globalism. I don't care whether he talks about migrants, whether he talks about the common good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything except to you and me. That's why he's using the term. He's talking about globalism. He wants one world government. But Father, if you talk about this idea of common good, anyone who has even the most basic understanding of history or theology or politics, economics, anything, anything like that, it's clear to see that the common good is affected by following the principle of subsidiarity. Mm -hmm. And Francis wants to do the exact opposite mm -hmm. of that. And it's, it's, it's just so, so deceitful. But, you know, when in society, when we should be following the, this idea of the principle of, of subsidiarity, 
you know, sort of like a, a bottom-up um, governance there. In the church, uh, the way it's supposed to work traditionally is more of a top-down structure, but yet Francis has inverted that. So he's taken both of these and flipped them both. And so now in his church, we have a uh, a kind of a bottom-up thing where, like you said, we'll have the, the, the synods, a synodal church where he has the, the people, the simple laymen come in, and they're being raised up while the clergy, because we don't want clericalism, they're being they're being reduced. And so it's being flipped on both sides. Well, this is, this is what subversion, perversions. It takes the natural, the right... The supernatural order and inverts it. It takes the natural order and and, and subverts it. Exactly. It turns it upside down. Yeah. And you're right. This is what he's doing in the church, and this is what he's doing in the natural society too. He's uh, perverting and subverting the natural and the supernatural order at the same time. You can't actually subvert the supernatural order without also right. subverting the natural order as well, turning them completely upside down. Right. So in the church where you would have this monarchic form of government, in a sense, right? Yeah. A hierarchical form of government. He wants to subvert that, invert that, right? have the democratic form of government so that faith and morals are governed, are dictated from the ground up okay. and the grassroots up. But in the, in the society, in civil society, he wants to do exactly the opposite. He wants a world governing authority to impose its will on everyone in the world. And, uh, but through a global tyranny. But you know why the modernists use the, this deceit? It works. It works. It, it, they are masters of deceit, right? They're true children of their father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning, right? He's, He's taught them well. He's taught them well. And Father, doesn't this perfectly describe, couldn't we say that this perfectly describes the end times, though, where we have those who call good? Evil and evil good. Isn't That's what Isaiah says, right? He says, woe, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Yeah. And yes, it does apply. And that's why so many people today really think that, uh, that we are uh, closing in on those end times. No. How long they last, uh, we don't know. And there are people who poo-poo the idea and say, oh, pff, people thought that in the past. And it, look, here we are. We're still here. See? So, but they're making a huge mistake. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, I mean, God might have entered the world back then, right. but the Catholic people rose up and did what they, as Catholics people, were supposed to do. They responded by prayer and penance. And perhaps that's why you and I are here now discussing anything, because the past generations, uh, faced with the prospect of such destruction, actually did what Catholics were supposed to do and uh, pleaded for God for mercy. I mean, there was a time when God told Moses in the desert, stand aside, aside, I will destroy these people, and I will raise your offspring up to be a great nation. All right? Did God mean that? Yes. You know, God wasn't playing games. Um, and yes, they did deserve it, and yes, he would have done that, but Moses stood and begged God for mercy. And because Moses stood there, and asked God's mercy, God relented, as it were. But God didn't change his mind. He knew that he was giving the graces to Moses to do exactly what he did. God was the one giving Moses the grace to stand there and plead for mercy for the people. And he was giving us that example of the power of intercession of, a, of a, someone like a Moses begging for mercy for the people. And uh, we need to see that now, because we need that now. We need people who will 
pray and, and offer God penance and reparation for the crimes of humanity and, um, and, and hopefully obtain God's mercy. And maybe there will be another generation or 10 or 20 or 100 uh, because at this time we did what Catholics in the past had done, what the Catherine of Siena had done, and what the Catherine of, uh, of Alexandria did mm-hmm. a thousand years before. Um, more. So that's what we need to do now. And Father, isn't that exactly what happened in the life of, I believe it was St. Vincent Fair, who, Vincent Fair. who, who was called the, the Angel of, of Judgment, I believe, and... and um, okay. I believe it was said that, that God actually intended to end the world at those times, but this great saint rose up and converted so many uh, so many people that uh, the, the world was actually prolonged because of that, because of his good efforts. So it's certainly possible. It's certainly uh, something to it, about. it certainly is. But that should give us also hope now. Those who consider the fact, those who consider these times to be the end times because they see... Uh, the conditions that had to be met before the end of the world. And the church has actually a list of these six things or so that must happen before the world will come to an end. And people say, well, this is what is happening before our very eyes. But we have to see, not in a fatalistic fashion, we have to see that God sent Our Lady here at Fatima for a reason. Um, and she did say, if we would pray and do penance and do what was asked of us, that uh, God would grant this. She also promised that in the end, her immaculate heart would triumph. So there's no, there's no place, there's no justification for us having a fatalistic approach to this, saying, oh, what's the use? It's all over anyway. We know what heaven wants of us right now, and that is to be faithful. That is to follow our traditional Catholic faith, but live truly as Catholics. And now the times demand our fidelity in prayer and penance, prayer, the rosary in particular, attending the traditional mass, the holy sacrifice of the mass. You know, when when you think about the love of God in providing for us the mass, it's 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 um it's just beyond uh, the ability of human mind to grasp because we are not capable of loving as God loves but our Lord wanted every single one of us as faithful to be able to be present at Calvary and to be present at the sacrifice that he offered for us you know but he didn't uh, he did not accomplish that by scooping up every one of us and carrying us thousands of miles, you know, across oceans to Jerusalem. He didn't accomplish that by by scooping us up in time and carrying us back 2,000 years to Calvary. What he did was he took that sacrifice and he would, in a sense, perpetuate it throughout time in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And he gave us the priesthood to do that. So rather than taking us to Calvary, he brings Calvary to us in the Mass. If we only appreciated the significance of that and the love of God behind that, at work in that, then we would see um, we, we would we would see this new Mass as being nothing but a uh, a parody. It's a parody of the of the Mass and the sacrifice of Calvary. 
It was never intended to be the sacrifice of Calvary here and now. Quite the contrary. Uh, it was meant to eliminate that. But the traditional mass of the, of the Catholic Church, <coughs> and by that I mean the traditional mass and the different rites in which it is celebrated, but notably in the, in the Roman rite, is precisely that. It is that sacrifice of Calvary, and that's where our Lord wants us. Where the body is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Remember that prophecy, again, regarding the end times, right? And the fathers of the church understood that to refer to the body of Christ. And there the eagles will gather together around the true mass. So that's where we need to be right now. Father, there's a, a beautiful line in the uh, St. Leonard of Port Maurice, his book, The Hidden Treasure, um, where he, he talks about the, the Holy Mass. And he says, he, he posits the question, you know, is is the world so much better now than it was in the Old Testament? Because it seems that in the Old Testament, there were so many more calamities than there are today. God was so harsh back then. You know, there was the great flood. Um, the, the people of Israel, when they were unfaithful, they would be sold into slavery and whatnot. It just seemed that, that God was very harsh, was so quick to punish. But now it seems that it's not that way so much anymore. It seems that um, in a way you could say we get away with so much more. And he asked, well, why is this? And his answer was, it's because now in the New Testament, we have the holy sacrifice of the mass mm -hmm. to offer. And he says, on the contrary, the world now is actually so much worse than it was back then. Our sins are so much greater. The sins of the, the Catholic people are now are so much worse than the sins uh, of, the, of the, the Jewish people back then. Everything is so much worse now. The world is under so much more strain than it was before. But the difference is now we the have mass, the mass. Back, yeah. Now we have the mass, and that that is our uh, that's our salvation. Right. It's in the holy sacrifice of the mass. And well, beautifully and truly said too. <clears throat> the modernists would say, "Well, no, the church now has learned. Now we've learned mercy, and God Himself. You know, now God is realizing that He was really too tough back then." And uh, he, he himself has learned to ease off a bit and kind of mellow out a bit. And uh, this goes along with uh, uh, Bishop Sheen's statement, what, what, what mankind wants is not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven, <laughs> right? He wants nothing more to be able to say at the end of every day that a good time was had by all. And that's what really counts. And that's the modernist message today, right? <laughs> That'll be the message of the Antichrist, too. But what St. Leonard of Port Maurice has to say is so beautiful and powerful, and it's true, right? Yes. If God is holding back his wrath, it is because of the holy sacrifice. That's why uh, a, a true saint, Padre Pio, not because the Novus Ordo canonized him and is trying to use him to serve their purposes, but he said the world could sooner exist without the sun than without the mass. And this explains why. Uh, because of the weight of sin for which it is answerable before God. And that is the darkness that covers the earth, right? And I know, Father, you, you, um, you frequently ask the, the question rhetorically of why we are still here, why God permits us to exist after just witnessing the uh, the the barrage of, of evil mm. around us and just totally especially the corruption of the innocence of the of the young of the children mm -hmm. and it's just in, in unprecedented levels like 
anything like nothing we've ever seen before. Sin's so crying to heaven for vengeance. Exactly, and they're being they're being glorified. Um, like what you said earlier, the the good is being called evil, the evil is being called good. And so, why does God permit us to exist? Why does He permit this to continue? And I think the answer, perhaps, lies in like like you said, the the holy sacrifice of the mass. Because yes, our sins may be greater than they've ever been before. Yet we still have an infinite sacrifice to offer. So anything that we can. Uh, uh, you know, offend God with anything, no matter how great and terrible our sins are, we still have the infinite sacrifice of reparation, the, the an infinitely powerful sacrifice to offer to God. Well, to, when the, if, the, if, the, if the modernists succeed, right, in impairing, uh, eliminating the true sacrifice of the Mass, which is what they set out to do, uh, then you'll see the vengeance of God unabated there and unfiltered, right? But that's impossible, right? Uh, they can never eradicate the mass from the face of the earth. That's true. Okay. Uh, but they can persecute it mercilessly. And, uh, but then they, they will see um, that mercy, there is no mercy for them. Or the world, mankind, when they turn against Christ and, and the Mass, the sacrifice. Father, if, if the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is an infinite, infinitely powerful sacrifice, why is it necessary to offer it every day, multiple times between the, all, the, all the multiple? Because groups? the application of the graces to the souls is through the Mass itself. I mean, why would there be a necessary to have a Mass at all if the sacrifice of Calvary was infinitely powerful? That's a good question. Well, no, the answer is the same thing. <laughs> because our Lord wanted to apply the graces of the Mass to us. And that is how he does it. And how, how he brings the graces of the Mass to the souls of the faithful. Okay. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, that's where we have to take our stand. We have to take our stand on my Calvary. Sure. On my Calvary with the Mass. So the, um, the the circumstances of the, of the day are uh, no time. The, the times are evil, right? As Saint Paul said, even of his own days, right? Um, we have to discern the times. Who is it? Uh, if, uh, John the twenty third made a big deal about uh, you know the signs of the times, the signs of the times. The same for Saint Paul said long ago that you know discerning the time, redeeming the time, because the times are evil. Certainly, as you said, no less evil in John the Twenty-Third's time than they were back in the time of St. Paul. But we have the holy sacrifice, so thank goodness. And um, the modernists uh, are ma well, making common cause with the, with the Satanists themselves and trying to destroy that. Sure. It's not allowed them to do that, but the only way we can resist them is by the power of God's grace, and that's where we have to go. That's right. Um, we have to seek that, cooperate with it. Um, interesting points you mentioned. Now, these are these are very current events because they're going on before our very eyes right now. They're coming out of the mouth of Francis right now, right. coming out of his Vatican, right? That's right. And so uh, these are things people need to know. I think so. To understand what they mean. That's right. Well, Father, thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate your time. We uh, have a lot. That we could get to still, but um, <laughs> I think we could say that at the end of every program. So I think I'll, I'll let you go, Father. Well, Tom, that's very good of you. Okay. <laughs> Appreciate you talking uh, about that's it. That's mutual. Okay. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe.
Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima, to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.